For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Matthew Steele returning, and, and his title is Our Mission, Our Aim. Mr. Steele. Good afternoon. To make sure I don't kick this thing. I don't want some noises coming out. Before I uh, start my message, I just wanted to thank everybody um, for your prayers, for your support, uh, messages of kindness, and, and just, um, just really just upholding us and our family, uh, myself and, and Renee and the family here, but then also my mom and my brother and sister and everybody in England. So um, God had blessed us with a safe travel, uh, although a little bumpy all the way there. Um, we were flying through that uh, tropical depression that was moving into England, so it was kind of an interesting landing. But uh, God has blessed us and, and protected us, and so just I just want to say thank you to everybody for your, for your prayers and your support. The company that I work for, um, a few years ago, engaged in a uh, self-diagnosis, as it were, um, identifying what works about the company, what doesn't work about the company, and came up with, uh, I guess, a series of principles that you could describe as a mission statement. And if, uh, if you've worked in the corporate world, uh, big or small, I'm sure you've come across a mission statement. One or two. And, you know, lots of times these mission statements are met with... Um, a range of derision <laughs> or scorn or uh, maybe some humor, but some are appropriately worded and targeted and, and they, um, they coalesce the thinking of the team, of the, the workforce, of the employees, and then also maybe communicate what it is the company is about, what it is that the company does and is trying to do and what is important to that company, or even, perhaps, an organization. Some companies, as I mentioned before, expand on these mission statements with broader principles, uh, maybe a, a code of ethics by which they expect their employees to follow. But each of these statements are simple, or at least certainly the most effective ones are simple, but accurate. They accurately reflect the goals of the organization. For example, anybody use Amazon.com? Yeah. Somebody was telling me they saw an internet meme the other day that said it had a picture of a whole package, bunch of packages by the front door, just like way too many for a single person to have ordered, and it says, don't drink and prime. <laughs> so, Control yourself on Amazon. Well, Amazon.com says that their mission is to be the world's most customer-centric company. The most customer-centric company. If you think about it, they really are with the advent of services like Prime. Well, if you're a Prime member, free shipping, no questions asked on a return. Life is very simple when using their product. And so... 
they try and live up to that, uh, that mission statement. CVS Pharmacy. We will be the easiest pharmacy retailer for customers to use. Very simple, but it makes sense, right? That they don't want to present any kind of obstacles for you and I to not give them some of our money. And it is the objective of a corporation to make some money for themselves, for their investors. Ford Motor Company, a little bit more involved. We are a global family with a proud heritage, passionately committed to providing personal mobility for people around the world. A little wordy, they make cars. They make cars. They are here to provide transportation. Nike, anybody like Nike? The swoosh? Got to wear those Nike shoes. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And also maybe some of us that are not necessarily athletes, right? Google. I like Google. We joke about Google a lot at work. Um, ask Brian sometime why, why I call him Google Brian. He'll tell you a story. But Google, one of their early mottos was, don't be evil, which is a pretty good motto to have as a, as a corporation, right? Don't be evil. And I think we could, we could support that, to not be evil. But their more expansive mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And that's what they set out to do. And that is what they do. Of course, some people would imply that within there, there is a you know, nefarious plan to be evil. But they are providing a resource by which we can search incredible volumes of data very quickly. We can search this information that's available on the internet and do so in such a manner that it makes sense to us. So they have a goal. They have a mission to make information useful and accessible. If you do a Google search for the term mission statement, you'll find it is a formal summary of the aims and values of a company, of an organization, or, I didn't even think about this, of an individual. So even you and I as individuals can have a mission statement. And it is a statement that shows our aims, our values as individuals or organizations. And I think that's a good explanation. It's a good summary. So for us as the Tulsa Church of God, as this church family, if you had to write down what our mission statement is, what would it be? What values would it have? What aims would it have? What is our mission statement? What would be in it? How would you summarize our purpose, our goals? what we're working towards. How would you summarize those things? And, and before you, know, you kind of reach out and say, well, hey, it's, it's the Bible, right? It's scripture, we've got scriptures. Matthew 28, that's, that's our mission statement. 
Well, is it really? A mission statement of an entire voluminous book or series of books, that's not really an effective mission statement, at least not in the, in the way I just described it. So what is our mission? What's our aim? What are we aiming at in this church family, in this community? What are we doing here? Using scripture as the guide, yes. Working within the biblical framework of that larger mission that we have from Jesus. But what's our specific nuanced mission? What is our aim? What's our portion of that greater calling that the church has been given? What is the purpose of all that we do here? Why do we have booklets over there? Why do we have different series of Bible studies? Why do we have worship services? Why do we study the Bible together, collaboratively like we are now? Or why do we praise and worship? Now, you may be thinking, well, what's, what's the point of this exercise? Why, why do we have to ask these questions? Well, the Bible gives us some very clear statements of what a church should be about. But... At the same time, the Bible does not give us very specific instructions, does it? The Bible makes no mention of Tulsa, Oklahoma, oddly enough. There was no such place as Tulsa, Oklahoma when the Bible was finished. So we're to be maybe a little bit more nuanced with the directions and the guidance that we have in Scripture. The Bible cannot give us the specific goals or aims that are unique to this congregation or indeed this community and this city in which we're in. We've heard so many times in Proverbs 29, verse 18. You know, and people have used it. We've used it to motivate. We've used it to condemn. We've, we've used it to, to question our leaders, both political and religious. But it says, where there is no vision... The people perish. But it doesn't stop there. So often we do stop there. We just read that first part. Oh, we've got to have a vision. All right, let's get a vision before we all burn up. But we're given the second part to that. It's the second part of that couplet. It says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And you, you know, you might not necessarily automatically think, well, those two go to, how do those two go together? How do they come together? We need the law of God to build our vision, to order our actions, just as importantly, or vitally, to stop us just running amok, don't we? Just running around doing whatever we want. The word parish in the Hebrew is para which means to let go, let alone. Just to kind of like, just let things go. So without a vision, which is informed by the word of God and by the, the law, things just fall apart. They just get let go. They go to rack and ruin. They just kind of grow everywhere. They fall into neglect. A lack of vision 
for any group of people or an individual often leads to inaction at best and destruction in the end. God has built human beings to have a purpose, to work towards a goal, sometimes as individuals, other times together as a church or an organization. Writing to the Philippians, Paul speaks of our collective goal or vision in chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind, and if any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul is talking here about his individual goal, his individual purpose to lay a hold of that prize. But then he also brings it together with the ecclesia, with the church, that we are all reaching for that prize. We're all working in this together. But Paul also expects us to do it together, to walk together. He expects us to follow the same rules, being of the same mind, having similar goals and visions collectively, working together. But this does not just happen by chance. It doesn't happen by accident. Otherwise, we wouldn't get this instruction. We wouldn't be, have to be told this. Even people who are all pressing towards and forwards towards the same prize can fail to do it together, can fail to work in unity and harmony in the spirit. And the reason that we know this is because of the countless denominations that there are in the world, right? Christian denominations of all kinds of flavors, all essentially, supposedly having the same goal, and yet, how many denominations are there? How many different types are there? And we're not any better in the Church of God tradition, are we? <laughs> because it's the ABCs of the churches of God. And so this is something we need to work at. This isn't an easy thing. This is something that we need to be deliberate about. We in the church of God have that responsibility. Beyond the stated goals and aims and visions, we must use the word and the law of God as an instrument to build our own specific plans our own goals, our own one-year, two-year, five-year goals, things that we want to achieve together for the next generation, for our children and on our children's children. The work of the ministry, the work of this church, the work of the church at large isn't finished. The kingdom of God is not here on earth. It is not finished. And we're not just sitting here 
waiting for that kingdom to come. That was not the instruction. Matthew 28 makes that plain. We are to continue the work. For some reason, the perfect God in heaven has decided to perform this work here on earth <laughs> through us imperfect beings. This has been the case from the beginning. This has been his plan all along. And it, he didn't see fit to change it even after we fell, even after the fall. In Genesis 2.15 it says that the Lord God took man and put him in the garden, the garden of Eden, to tend it and keep it. Now this passage, it's interesting to me because this is before the fall, right? This is before man has sinned. This is before we really made a mess of things and were thrown out of the garden. And yet apparently the garden still needed tending. It still needed keeping. There was still work to do. Pruning, shaping, manipulating the garden, producing more out of the fruit trees, the nut trees, whatever, whatever the purpose of all of that work is, right? Isn't it to gain more fruit? And so here we have at the very beginning work for man to do. And after the fall, it became harder. After the fall, we did it by the sweat of our brow. But it's still the same work that we are to tend and keep this garden. There was a need to maintain it. Otherwise, it would go back to Proverbs 28. It would just go to ruin. It would just fall apart. For wildly. The garden would fail because of neglect. It would fall into disrepair. And I guess you could argue that it did, didn't it? Because man then started being focused on what he could get from the garden instead of tending the garden. And then, of course, we know what happened as a result of that. So using the same analogy then, we have a garden before us. We have a garden in this church, but also in this community, in the, the city that we're in. We have an opportunity to tend and keep a little portion of that garden. To do what we've been asked to do all along. Jesus asks us to do this by our example in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this, this question of our mission, our goal, the things that we are trying to do and should do 
as a congregation. I've been thinking about these things for a long time. And even more so in the last month or so. I've been evaluating myself. What is important? What is important that I spend my life force on it? You know, I, I don't have an endless amount of time. None of us do. We have just a whisper and we are gone. Just a few days here on the earth. And then we're, we're out of here. And so what we spend our time on, what we focus on, as individuals, as a congregation, as, as the family of God. I've been thinking about that a lot. Trying to maybe realize a better way to use my own time. And maybe perhaps see if there's a vision for us to use our time collectively and more effectively in our community. It seems to me that in the word of God we have... We have a macro vision, right? We have a large scale vision. We have these high level visions, and they're beautiful. I mean, to go into all the world to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord and he is bringing his kingdom on this earth. Fantastic goal and vision, but it's, it's, it's up here. We have other visions that we should feed the hungry, that we should help the poor, that we should lift up the brokenhearted and set at liberty those that are bound in sin and death. Beautiful goals and visions. It also seems to me that we have macro visions, right? That we, we, we have these smaller scale goals as a congregation to, to raise our children, to teach our children in this way, to follow after God to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to intercede for one another. We do those things. We do those things very well. But there's a room somewhere in the middle. There's, a, there's an area that I really would ask for us to concentrate on and focus on, to build a vision around that fits in between these two areas, that fits between the macro and fits between the micro. That's where our focus can now be. How do we translate the understanding of the kingdom of God to a world that doesn't even understand the Bible? We no longer live in a Christian society in a nominal sense that we can leverage and, and move them closer to God. That's, that's barely perceptible anymore especially in our younger generations. So, so we have to have a new vision of how we communicate the gospel to the world, to our neighbors, to our communities around us. We have this meeting on January 9th. Probably all knew that I was going to lead up to that. But I'm hoping that that's going to be a start of something that we can continue, that we can broaden and deepen and look for the leading of God, for the leading of the Holy Spirit to find some specific mission goals that we can achieve together. We need that vision. We need a roadmap. 
an intermediate set of goals and visions that we can get behind, that we can all work behind. And something else that happens, I think, when we do that is that we find new opportunities for service. You know, without that kind of change within a community, well, you can fill this role, this role, this role, or this role, and that's it. And if you don't fit into one of those categories, then I guess you just, uh, just pay and pray or something. And that's not what we're about. We're about working together and finding ways to leverage the gifts that we have all been given. To get stuck into a new vision, a new goal, with excitement and passion. I don't have all the answers. And if you, know, you can tell from this message, I've got lots of questions. But that's how we, we get answers, is by asking the questions. Just ask my son, Benjamin, who's incessant with his questions. That's how he gets the answers. And we can ask those questions so that we can get the answers. I think it is vital for every generation of the church, as they grow and mature in the life of the church, to ask these questions and say, what is next? What is the next thing that we can work on together? If there is a single scripture, though, that we can use, maybe as a scaffold to build these, this visioning process, these ideas, onto, it might be 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. I think this passage of scripture can be that, that framework. Help us build our middle ground, our vision, our goals. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who is reconciled unto himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I talked about this maybe a month or two ago. I just really feel drawn to this passage as a tool for us to start to, to purpose our visioning around. So perhaps this ministry of reconciliation is something that we can think about, pray about. Paul is saying that we have been given this ministry and we're reconciling. Who are we reconciling? We're reconciling man with God. Jesus Christ through us is continuing what he was doing when he was on the earth when he walked around, when he gave his life for this world. And he's continuing to do it in us, that ministry of reconciliation. What does that look like? How do we reconcile Tulsa to God? I don't know. But we should seek to answer that question, answer it. Verse 19 that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have the words. He's promised us right here. We have the words to use, to reconcile the lost to Christ, to God. And again, it's a ministry of reconciliation. What it is not is a ministry of judgment. 
You know, there's two ways that we can preach the kingdom of God, right? We can preach that God's coming back to teach this world a lesson and to punish those wicked evildoers, which is in there. That is absolutely in there. But that's just a small part. God is coming back. Jesus is returning with his kingdom to save this world and reconcile it, to renew it, restore it. So, which way do we go? We're not bringing judgment. We're bringing reconciliation. So maybe that is another hook that we can hang our visions on. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Pleading. Pleading. For the world out there, for the, our community that we can reach to be reconciled. We are ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. I love this term because it's so full of meaning and power. And when I, when I think of, of this term in the context of, of us, weak, single human individuals in the face of the darkness that can come on this earth, I'm kind of reminded of that, you know, an ambassador walking into the throne room of some foreign dictate or power. He's all by himself, but he has the power of this empire or this country behind him, and he speaks with boldness and faith in spite of being outnumbered, in spite of all the force that might be poured against him individually. We're ambassadors of a new global power, a new government that is coming on this earth. We're ambassadors of a great king who's going to return to save this earth, who's looking for new citizens to join that kingdom. That's why we're reconciling this world, is to add more citizens to the kingdom of God. We're ambassadors recruiting for the kingdom. And there are many scriptures that we could use and should use to guide us, to inform us. The parable of the talents comes to mind, doesn't it? What are we to do with the investment that has been made in us? What will our return be? In fact, when we think about this even more, it might well be that uh, our task is really to try and figure out what God has already planned for us the visions that he has already set for us. There's a well-known scripture. It was a promise to the people of Judah after the period of exile in Babylon for, for the time when it was going to be over and they were going to return to the land. And even though it's directed towards them, you know, we see it in Christian churches all over the world. It's a beautiful passage and it is applicable to us. 
in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. He says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. And when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. For Judah, that land was, was Palestine, right? The, the old kingdom of Judah. They returned to the land. They eventually rebuilt the temple. For us, perhaps we perceive that as the kingdom of God. For the world, it is also the kingdom. But it is also the garden. The garden of Eden, back where it all began back from where we were all exiled from. To bring us back in unison, reconciled with God. But through his kingdom, and then firstly, through Christ in us, his ambassadors, he's letting his children find him. There is a period of time that God says, I will let you find me. And if we are the facilitators of that reconciliation, then he's working through us, Christ in us, which is our mission. It is our goal. But the individual tasks within that vision, the things that we need to work towards, that's what we should pray for. That's where we should look for the leading of the Spirit. Look for God to give us that direction and guidance. Please continue to pray for our church. Continue to pray for our, our meeting coming up on January 9th. Continue to pray for our leaders. And especially pray for our pastor. The burdens that, that the pastor has, the burdens that the leaders have, and the burdens that each one of us have can only be overcome through that prayer. So please add this to your thinking. Add this to your creative juices and bring those ideas as we begin to explore some new things that we can do together on January 9th.